Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Number by Pat Leather with Jay Logan and Dwayne and Mikael Morgan. So, without further ado, we're going to get into our show today, which is going to be a free range question and answer. We have back, of course, our weekly show host, Mr. Jay Logan in San Francisco, and we also have our college grad who we love and adore. This is Veronica Transchant-Smith. So before we get bring them on, I just want to let you know our guest today is Emmanuel Zhao of Get Which Records. So excited to have him on. This is going to be a fun show but also a serious show because we're going to be able to range on all topics with him around youth, gangs, um, education, music, and everything. He's an internationally acclaimed hip-hop artist who's overcome being a child soldier, and he is also an activist for this same thing with kids. So without further ado, we're going to bring on Mr. Jay Logan. Hi, Mr. Jay Logan and Ms. Veronica Transchant-Smith. How are you guys today? Oh, we are fine. Everything is great. Well, great out here in San Francisco. Are you sure now, Mr. Logan? You know, Veronica and I kind of heard that, you know, you're as nice as ours is today, you know? Uh, I didn't hear you the last comment, Gil. Could you repeat that one more time? You heard what? We we heard that your weather isn't quite as nice as our weather is today. Well, you you might got that right. You guys are I don't know how you guys are doing it. I mean you guys you deserve it though. You guys have been through a lot. Yeah, you guys have better weather out there. Yeah, right now. But we're we're coming. It's just not now. It is about to rain. I mean, there is a, a covering, but we're okay with that. You know, we're so excited. You know, Veronica, you were sharing with us about what's happening in your city, you know, and we both live in the same city with, you know, some of the violence that's going on amongst the, you know, the uh, people there. And it's it's a little concerning, you know. Um, you know, so before we can finish, Mr. Emmanuel Jahl seems to be on already. So, we are going to bring him on in a few moments. But, you know, Veronica, is something I really want to get into Emmanuel about, you know, given that he's from Sudan and he's dealt with some of these things, you know, in his native town even worse. So we should be grateful for where we are. What are your thoughts, Veronica and Jay? Absolutely agree with that. I mean, all of this is, you know, scary to to actually see happening. 
around you. And it's one thing to hear about, you know, things going on across the country or in a different country on the other side of the world, but it's always different when it hits extremely close to home. So, I mean, the best that we can do now is just to keep our heads up, uh, be vigilant and alert. So hopefully things work out for the better in this community. Yes, yes, yes. Um, police are wearing bulletproof vests. That's a little scary. Jay, do you want to uh, weigh in on this? Yes, I'd just like to say real briefly that Veronica is right on point for bringing attention to this problem we have um, just uh, out here in San Francisco. The police were chasing a vehicle, and the vehicle was shooting back at the police in broad daylight with, you know, people everywhere, you know. So we just kind of raised the consciousness of this that, you know, you know, and then what's good is that some people, while the chase was going on, Gail, you know, some passengers, they were putting their lives in. Some of the other uh, people around were trying to block the vehicle so it could get away from the police. I don't know if that's a wise thing to do, but it was great to see that people cared because, you know, at this age, you can't fund decency and you can't buy caring. Those two things can't be bought. You can't throw money at it. People have to care from what's in. So I'm glad that Veronica is one of those people that cares. And, and again, Dale, you do the care to bring attention to this horrific situation here. You know, that's, yes. Well, let's, let's go on more of a positive note. We're going to bring Emmanuel on, and I just ask you and Veronica to be a little clearer in your uh, phones because you know how technical difficulties happen here on Blog Talk Radio. Well, Mr. Joe, we are so happy to have you. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today on Listen Give Radio. Uh, thank you for making me part of your show. Well, we're very delighted to have you, some of the work that you've done. My name is Gail, and you have uh, Jay Logan from San Francisco and Veronica from Jersey City. And right now I'm based in uh, New York and New Jersey as well. So we are so happy to have you. Are you calling us from Canada or Africa or London? I'm calling from uh, Toronto in Canada. Oh, that's amazing. So we have an international person here on the line. Well, Emmanuel, um, we're going to ask you, you know, uh, a lot of questions, and people may call in. And we just ask if it's okay with you if you would just answer those questions because we don't want to give all the good stuff away so quickly, okay? Okay, okay. So, you know, Emmanuel, I'm going to I'm going to start off, you know, um, I'm – what I heard about you was, was quite amazing. You know, we're, we're launching a project at the end of this month for youth uh, with music and giving back to nonprofits as well, and it really yeah. does focus on education, uh, the arts, and family. You know, and if you don't mind me asking starting out, I mean, you have had a journey, my friend. You've really had a journey. I mean, starting out as a child soldier, um, that must have been, you know, very hard for you. I, if you, we want to start with you from the beginning. How did you, how did you get started as a child soldier? Like, really, like for some of our audiences who don't know you, what happened, Emmanuel? Well, what happened is my country was at war, and so in that time, and I saw what war has done. So everything that we own disappeared. And the war, things happened so quickly. It was like the world was ending. And all my aunties died during the war. All my uncles except two. My mom was claimed by the war. So it was a difficult moment. And my dad uh, had joined the rebel movement that time. So he put me into a group of children that were told we were going to go to school in Ethiopia. 
And so we had to walk to Ethiopia hoping that we're going to a better place where we're going to go to school. But the journey was really frustrating. A lot of young people died of starvation. Some died of dehydration. Crossing the rivers was difficult. And also the one of the sad thing is you're in a situation whereby you see six, seven years old burying their own dead. So that kind of experience. And then there was no enough food. And later on, we actually went to school for a while, and then after a while, we were offered to be trained. And that's when uh, I became a child soldier. Wow, I know, Jay, you had a question for Emmanuel. Yes, Emmanuel, how are you? How are you today? Well, um, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Could you give us, our audience, a definition? Because some of us know uh, what a child soldier is. Could you give us kind of brief uh, information about what a child soldier exactly is? Well, a child soldier is a child that has been trained how to fight. You know, some are trained from the time they're eight to anybody who's from eight to 16, that's like a child soldier because you have not yet grown up to, for you to actually begin to decide things for yourself. And a lot of people who train children, they know most of them don't have dreams, and some of them don't even know, like, you die only once. Wow. Wow. Um, and thank you for that definition, um, Emmanuel, because a lot of people think, you know, they hear about it, but they really don't get the depth of what that is. You know what I mean? Right. And to, and to understand what you actually had to overcome, you know, to be the, the gentleman that you are today, I mean, it's amazing, and I think when you hear your story today on our show, you know, how you transformed your life, gone into music, gone into making a difference around the world, they'll actually get a glimpse of how lucky they are in this country, Europe, Asia, and Latin America, because they don't really get it. Um, so we're going to go more into that a little later, but I know that Veronica has your next question for you. Yes, I do. What message is it that you want to send out with the movement that you're doing right now? Well, the movement that I am doing now is I'm sharing my story for social emotional learning because there's something about sharing each other's experience and learning from each other. Me, I came from the jungle and I realized life, how difficult it is. But now I'm in a concrete jungle. This is a whole new life, and I'm learning from different people with their stories. And some of the people from concrete jungle that have inspired my life is mainstream people from hip-hop artists to activists like Martin Luther King and also coming back. So I'm having two sides of the world. And so the experiences that I can share with them is I don't have solutions, but what I can always say is no matter how difficult it is, wherever you are in the world, whatever, if it doesn't kill you, learn from it. It can only make you stronger. And if you're in that situation, it, you have to, uh, I want to say, people are working and help is on the way. So you know, what I do with the we One Peace movement is I try to say, when, you see, when you put a spotlight in a dark place, the evil performs awareness, like talking about situations, that's how you can get change. Like I heard someone was speaking earlier about uh, people have to care. You can't buy somebody to care. It has to come from within their heart for them to act 
So now and they were talking about somebody drive by doing shooting. So now it's the neighborhood or whatever you have become dangerous and more awareness is created and people could act. But sometimes it's difficult because what certain situation we are put in the pressure that we are, you know, like poverty or hungry belly doesn't know law. Or somebody was uh, not seeing there's going to be a window to get out, they'll try to find another way to survive. Like in Congo jungle, the lifestyle is difficult. Here is the system is made in a different way. The only way somebody from here can appreciate the system where they are in is if they're able to learn about other people's experiences from other places. And so from there, they could say, oh, they got it bad. At least I have this and I have this and I have this. So because you cannot see what you have if you're having it, unless you have to measure it what with the other person who doesn't have it. So if you eat three meals a day and you're told that somebody will eat once a meal a day, then you're going to be saying, oh, I have three meals a day. One, somebody eats one meal a day. So it will keep you thinking. Wow. You know, Emmanuel, this really, this really hits, uh, it hits a spot for me because, um, you know, um, Jay and I and Veronica in different ways, uh, we work with youth, okay? Um, you know, mm. I came up. I came up from a single parent. You know, and we do a lot of work uh, around the world, from Africa to Asia and whatever. And I was at a seminar recently, Emmanuel, where they were, you know, they, you know, they they took a camera out to Africa. And this is sometimes gets up under my skin a little bit because they took a camera out to Africa and a child, you know, filmed a few things, okay? from Africa, but, mm. I, you know, mm. and another, another child in Harlem, New York, where, you know, the predominant, is predominantly African-American, African, uh, and a Latino, okay, they, a child looked at, and like you said, they saw what was happening in another culture, this was a child who's getting bad grades, okay, she looked mm-hmm. what happened in, at a, in another culture and said, my God, I need to start getting good grades, okay, now this mm-hmm. child had, a, had brothers and sisters in gangs. Okay, so you know how you 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 you've been a child soldier. You also know that this concrete jungle, a jungle is a jungle. No matter how you want to slice it, it's a jungle, and there mm-hmm. are rules in the jungle. And once you're in the jungle, you know you have to pay the price to get out of that jungle. That's it's true. not like it's not like oh I'm going to be a kid, you know, a child soldier, or I'm going to be in a game. I'm just going to walk out. No, you don't get to walk out. No, there is there there was an initiation to bring you in, and there's an initiation to bring you out, and sometimes it could kill you. What you've, what what you've heard me say about this child, and with what we just you know are experiencing here, an upsurge in violence. You know. What are your thoughts about that? How do we get through to our youth? How do we get through to them when they can see how you've overcome? They see students like Veronica, who's graduated from Rutgers University, or the other students that work with us in high school that are going for their grades. How do we get, because some of these kids, you know, everyone's not rich and wealthy. How do we connect with these kids? I mean, really at the core. You know, what, what I can add in that, just like you mentioned the jungle, well, in the real jungle, you can tell the difference between a hyena, a hippo, a lion, and a snake. But in the concrete jungle, it's hard to tell between those kind of animals. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to put in a... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. 
Oh, yes. So, yes, please talk to you. Guys, <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to save everybody is almost difficult. But trying to get those who are willing to climb to the top and giving them opportunities, because opportunities are the ones those young people are looking for. Why are they in the gangs? They're in the gangs because the gangs has created an identity. The gang has created a home for them. The gangs kind of try to create a situation, look, this is the way out, so let's move this way. But some of them don't know at the top hierarchy of the gang, somebody is manipulating them for their own benefit. You may find the top of the gang could be an adult. Who knows? It's almost like in, in, the, in, in, in countries where there are wars. You manipulate these young people, give them the guns, make them feel strong, they go and die, but the guy on the top is benefiting. So to get these young people out is opportunities have to be created. Even if it's one person that is rescued, the word still passed around. That young person wants to see security. If I get out here, am I going to be safe? Will I get these opportunities that you're taking me with? Because like you say, there's an initiation of getting in. I want to just go to that initiation process. There was, a, there was a young man from my village in South Sudan who decided to be a Muslim. And so he was welcomed and was given everything. But they told him, hey, you have to get circumcised. We cannot convert you to be a Muslim if you're not circumcised. So he went and got circumcised. And so he converted. He was given wealth. He was able to start his business. business. But his business started going wrong. So he started going to Imam. Hey, Imam, you know, things are not all right, you know. You guys have not been nice to me nowadays. No, I don't get, he doesn't get that attention like he used to get. So what he said is, I want to quit. So I'm not going to be a Muslim anymore. So what they told him, okay, but do you know the laws? We're going to cut your head off because you cannot just turn your back on us. And he started saying, oh, I didn't know that coming in, I have to get circumcised, and if I'm going out, then my head is going to be chopped off. So it's almost like when a young person is getting into the gang, sometimes they don't know when you're going to get out, it's going to be difficult. And then they realize they're bound into it and they can't get out. So it's really, really difficult. I mean, those who make their mind, and if there's a way that they can get out, they need to be taken to a different environment until they have emotionally stabilized and shows to the gangs that they've changed their life. And gangs will respect that. Once you're not even, the advantage of gangs is if you have left the environment, you have to show that you're not going to be in the drug business or you're not going to do anything and you have to avoid them. And, then, and, and they'll respect you to, to go on. Wow. Depending, wow. On, uh, depending on uh, the damage you've done, because I was in Mexico with Acatel, they had a system in place where if somebody wants to leave the gang, then he has to go to a certain priest and they have to go through a, a, a session of, of giving their life to God. And then, then when they're in the prison, there's still spies who are looking for them. Is this guy really given his life to God? So if, if, if it, there's a wrong message coming back, they'll look for him and kill him. But if the person actually showed they've changed and they're starting a new life, then they leave it. No, but I don't know about the gangs in U.S., how they operate, but I think there must be a way out somehow. Well, Jay, I know this is where you want to come in. I know that. 
Well, I, I, I just wanted to say that you, y'all, are a miracle because coming out of your country and what you're doing, with the spirit that's in you, you're a blessing to see somebody like you to become this person that you are now coming from being a soldier to this. One of the questions I had is, what is the job of a child soldier? Okay, I'm a soldier now. Now, what am I defending and what am I doing? And what am I doing it for? And how does it affect economics, the world economics of everything? What does these child soldiers do? Well, it depends, you know. Even me, for me to be where I am today, it's a lot of mistakes that I've made, a lot of hustles, a lot of battle. But one thing I know is my heart is in the right place. I want to do something that can help my people. And I still, my wisdom is still growing, and I meet different people. Sometimes I have debates, sometimes I may be wrong, but I learn from different people to help me shape myself, which is a conscious decision that I made I'm going to follow. But a life as a child soldier is difficult. How does it affect economy? Where I come from is we were being oppressed, you know, and because we're being oppressed, we didn't have rights. So there was no justice. There was no equality. There was no freedom. You know, resources come from where we are, and the government use it. Slavery was still being practiced. So we're still treated as subhuman. And then you see that around, and you see your home destroyed. And, you know, I come from a culture, once you reach 13 or 14 years old, you're considered that you can protect your village. But now in the West here, that's a child soldier. But at eight, you're still a child. You know, you have to, you, know, you, you can't go to war. But now, AK-47s were introduced where a child can fire that gun. And so, economically, I would put it in shock that what was actually destroying us in South Sudan is the oil. The oil, people invested in the oil don't care how that oil is coming to them. All they want is that oil is with them, and they pay for it. They will give arms for it, and they'll make sure it is protected so their economies are not suffering. So war is a big business. And, 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 and peace, when there is peace, is all people with a high understanding, people who, have, uh, who understand that it can benefit many in long term. But war makes people multi-millionaires in a short term. And it's the criminals who are involved in it. And they know how to manage and confuse and manipulate people to actually have a dispute. Because look at it. When there's war, there's a lot of arms being sold. Boots, food is being sold. Then now you create refugees. When there's refugees, then you have a lot of charities are born. So there are charities who actually don't even want peace to happen because they're benefiting from people suffering, you know. So that's, that's the perspective I can look at it. So it ha- helps other people's economy, but the people who are suffering become degraded. They become, they're put down as humans. You stay in refugee camps for years. You're just being fed. You're crippled. So kids who are born in refugee camps now that, If you bring them out here, it will take them a while to settle down because they have not grown in a way where they can fend and work for themselves. (laughs) Veronica, I know know you've got something hot for Emmanuel. (laughs) Um, This is 
I'm just letting everything sink in right now, to be honest, because this is all news to me, you know, because you don't really hear about these things every day. It's just, I'm just blown away right now. You know, Emmanuel, you're bringing tears to my eyes. Um, You know, we interview a lot of people, and uh, right now I feel very blessed and honored that you are on our show. Hello? Yes, I said uh, we interview a lot of people, Emmanuel. And right now I feel very blessed and honored that you are on our show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for making me part of uh, the show. This is this is amazing because, you know, uh, we interact with, we just had Lyra. I'm sure you're familiar with Lyra from South Africa. And she's uh, one of the major artists out there on Sony. And um, I met her back in 2010. And she's uh, she, she's uh, she's a friend. I, ca- I count her as a friend. And um, you know, her and her husband embody what apartheid is in South Africa. He's a Dutch uh, white South Africaner, and here she is, a very black woman, very clear who she is. And he's a Dutch South African, and they there's no color. They're colorblind. They love each other, and that's the embodiment of two people growing up during apartheid and can show the world that they can still come together in love regardless of anything, you know. Um, Emmanuel, I believe we have a question. Uh, someone has uh, just dialed in, and we're going to see what they have to say. So we're going to bring our guest on. Guests, we're going to allow you to have one question with Emmanuel because we have to go on with him, and we look forward to what you have to ask. So thank you. Who's the guest? Can you tell us your name and the state that you're from? Yeah, my name is Peter Clark. I'm calling from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Wow, hey, well, thank you. <laughs> hey, Emmanuel, how are you, buddy? I'm good, man. How is it going there? Is it cold now? It's fantastic. I just wanted to, uh, I, I'm enjoying the show, and I, I, I love what you're doing. I had the great pleasure of meeting Emmanuel on Necker Island back in May, and uh, my question is based on that, Emmanuel, is that people like Richard Branson and other philanthropists around the world um, even celebrities like George Clooney has spent a lot of time talking about South Sudan and, and talking about genocide there and, and trying to prevent war. What, what do you think philanthropists um, around the world can do to help uh, with causes that are so uh, politically entrenched, uh, they're very, very, um, uh, um, very difficult to solve? What, what role can people like Richard Branson and, and celebrities and, and, and global philanthropists play in resolving some of the things that you're try, trying to work on. Peter, thank you for that question. That's an excellent question. Thank you so much for coming on and asking that. You want me to, uh, to answer that now? Yes, please Hello. address that if you wouldn't mind. Yes, please. please I, I met you yes. uh, Death Island, man, and uh, it was amazing, fantastic to connect with you and your wife and hoping like uh, the, you guys are going to open up a TV channel soon. <laughs> for philanthropy. So, I mean, philanthropy, it goes a different way. That those who can give up their time to help a cause happen. I, I consider such a person as a philanthropist because their time is money. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, we, yeah, we, you're, kind of sketchy. you're kind of sketchy going in and out. Okay. Okay, there you, you are. Here? We have you. Yes, we have you now. Yeah, so I'm saying philanthropy. There's a, there's a scratching in the background. I don't know if that's me. 
Okay, great. We, now it's fine. It's fine. Thank you. So I'm saying like uh, philanthropies vary. So any person who has given their time to volunteer to help a cause, that's a philanthropy too, according to the way I think about it. And philanthropy can, uh, can help speed change to happen. People at the global level like celebrities have got millions of followers. When they show a concern about a situation, they spread the message at a speed of light. They put a spotlight in that dark place where the evil will perform less and mobilize the masters to act instantly on that issue that they care about. If it's fundraising, if it's talking about uh, genocide, like what John, George Clooney has done, putting that phone in the map in Sudan at large and putting satellite information up that now even in South Sudan in the current war, when the government of South Sudan is killing its own civilians, they're able to, to take a picture of a city and see the troops coming in and destroying homes. So they, they are collecting evidence that can be used in the future when people are denying that they haven't committed atrocities. And because of celebrities who are concerned about human rights, they're able to put a spotlight and they're able to mobilize many people. People like Richard Branson who believe like entrepreneurism can help reduce poverty. And I actually believe in a message like that because when it comes to, to helping an economy, reducing poverty, it's three things, the skill the skill force, these are the people who have the knowledge to do things, the innovators and entrepreneurs. The entrepreneurs know how to generate money and manage things and ideas and make money out of it. And now they employ the skill force to be able to do work and that gives an opportunity for innovators to be able to come with new ideas that can make our world better. So any person who's investing in entrepreneurs is helping. Like now I have a project that we're doing now called the Kizi. I, I met up with this, uh, the founder of Ella Kitchen, a children's food company. His name is Paul Lindley. So he just sold his company, but what he has decided is he wants to set up a company where he put money in and we can look for entrepreneurs to invest money in, entrepreneurs whose cause are the heart of children. And so I end up producing an entire album, and that album, all the proceeds of that album, and I'm going to do tours, will go toward this enterprise so that we can fund small business owners who want to start businesses. So philanthropy at the moment is the key because we found people who have a lot of money who are looking to fund causes. These are people who establish business in, in the future. And they're able to fund small causes from small organizations who are able to deliver things. We have big organizations that get millions of dollars, and when they enter into a poor area, there's no improvement. But now we have small organizations and individuals who actually go into an area and you see a transformation happening. Hello? Yeah, we're 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 just blown away, Emmanuel. We're just blown away. I I I, I you know I'm. They can tell you I'm rarely speechless. Okay, I'm just rarely speechless. Um, Veronica, I'm going to pass the baton on to you. Veronica. 
Yes, hello? Yes, I'm going to pass the baton over to you with Emmanuel. He has answered all my questions. I'm, I'm just blown away. Okay. Now, Emmanuel, I know that you said that you are in the midst of a current project. What do you see um, next on your agenda besides this project that you have going on now? What do you see yourself doing next? Oh, I didn't hear the whole question. She says besides this, uh, besides this agenda that you have now. Uh, Veronica, you, you can ask it again because I don't think we could quite hear you. Hello, can you guys hear me now? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, I know that you have a current project going on that you just mentioned, but besides that, what is next on your agenda in uh, the upcoming future? Well, in the future, I have a charity called Guafra that I funded, and and I really want to see more kids get opportunities to go to school. Now we have young men who have finished university, we have others who are doing, who have done businesses, who are studying their own, and it took us like a couple of years to find people to try to help. It's mostly people in the social media or friends I met which is helping educate this, because I believe education is what is going to help my country in the long run uh, to, to come out of poverty, because we have many resources, but then this money because we don't have many skilled workforce that can be able to help the country move forward. And so and with education, it also creates many ways in which people can grow and find ways to fend for themselves. So and that's what I'm... I'm pushing, but at the moment I'm held up in current issues, which is my country, which is at war now. We have thousands of civilians that were killed during this war. So the government have gone, have lost its head and manipulated the situation to try to kill the political figures and call it a coup. And now the country is in civil war. Thousands of people were killed in Juba, targeted on their ethnicity, and that turn up made the entire country go blast where there's been revenge attacks. And so what I'm trying to put forward now is to create more awareness so that pressure is put in the government of South Sudan because the people of South Sudan deserve to enjoy peace, especially for America. America invested so much in South Sudan to be where it is, and for them to turn a blind eye and not do anything, it's really uh, uh, waste of the taxpayers' money, you know, because the, their government has paid money to try to help this country. They should be able to push their government to try to pressure South Sudan for, to, to make sure peace happens. You have one million people now who have been displaced. You've got half the population of the country which is facing food shortages. So a lot of people may die of starvation. You have thousands of civilians who are in the government areas under production of UN because if they come out of their homes, the government is going to kill them. So that's the situation that is happening in South Sudan, which is uh, worrying everybody. You know, um, Emmanuel, um, we're going to give you over to Jay, but I, I have two questions for you. Sorry, Jay, I had to jump in there. You know, okay. what, what, you're, what you are saying is likened to, you know, 
Jay and I and, and, and Veronica, we live in nice areas. We don't live in bad areas. But as in anything, in Sudan, whether it's South Africa, whether it's England or anywhere, you have your outlying areas that are beautiful and you have your other areas that surround it. You know, they, they intertwine with one another. When, you know, we, there's good and bad. I really don't think there's a good and bad. I just think there's areas where there's more turbulence than others. And when mm-hmm. I think about what you're sharing, you know, what we were talking about gang violence before you got on, it's no different than stepping outside and, and, and I'm not going to even use the word gang violence, people killing each other. There's no difference than stepping out your door. And even though I live in a great area, I'm grateful for that because I can still step out my door and be robbed or anything else. You know, you can live in a, bad, in a great area and, and have someone who's mentally, you know, not well and needs support and he's not, he or she is not getting it, so they rob you because they need the support. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 it is, a, as I say, I go back to saying it's a concrete jungle anywhere. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, taking this to the next level, when you left Sudan and you first came to New York or the States, wherever you landed here in the States, was it like a culture shock for you, and what was that like? And before you ask that question, we promised Carrie we'd only have you on for a little while. Can you hang with us for a little bit more? Okay, no problem, no problem. Okay. Yeah, what was it like when you landed here in the U.S., you know, and, um, you know, and coming out of Sudan, after going, what you went, going through what you went through, having to deal with the psychological part of it, and then coming to a new country, you know, on top of that? Please share with us what that was like for you. Well, to be honest, like, uh, I have never seen a kind of development, big buildings, big towers. Like, I was just blown away by the infrastructure. And in my head, I said, look, I've been watching the movies about aliens. And in my head, I said, oh, white people are aliens. How did they build all of this? That's what was going on in my head. Because they're like, I saw the New York Bridge, and I see how complex, how things have done, the cathedrals and all of this. So my head couldn't get it. And because I used to like to watch the Star Wars and all of this, I said, there's no way human beings are able to make this place look like this. And so it took me a while to actually settle in because I had other expectations because I used to say this is the land of milk and honey. You know, they used to say milk will flow in the rivers, and the streets are painted of gold, you know, and silver, you know. But if you come and look at it, that's the height, the picture we had in our mind. So you come for a while, that's how it looks, but after you get used to it, then you begin to question things. But it was a really exciting learning experience for me to learn quickly and try to say, look, here there is peace. I don't have to wake up and worry about a bomb dropping. You know, you're sleeping in a place, maybe the, what you could hear is the police making, wee, 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 but the safety here is... It's higher. The value for human life here is, is taken, it's much better compared to the situation I was. But when it comes to, you go to ghettos, with places where there's less opportunity, that's when you begin to see similarities. Even when, where I come from, it, the people who have enough are the ones that get more protection, are the ones who seem to to get a more peaceful place. Like in Khartoum at that time when there's war, those people didn't know that there's genocide happening in South Sudan. They did not know most of them, you know. 
because they get a propaganda. They don't get the right message. So almost like in here in the ghetto, there is gangs, there's drug addicts, there's all kind of people who have a lot of issues. It's because they've been econ economically deprived. So opportunities are little, and their spirits are broken. But for people like that, the only way to uplift their spirit is for them to learn from different parts of the world. If they learn from somebody who's gone to India, you know, so they can be able to see and see other opportunities just beyond. Because when you bring somebody like who's from a very deprived background in Africa or Asia, you bring them into the Western culture. If you put them in the ghetto for a while, they'll climb their way out because they weigh the opportunities. They'll probably do three, five jobs. They'll find like, okay, there's a law here. At least I can call the police if I'm in danger. They find, okay, at least I can actually practice freedom. I can bark here if I don't like something and scream. So they, they know how to work and enjoy the system. And so until those people who are living in this difficult environment, if their mind is not open to see somewhere so that they can begin to weigh and see the possibility they have, it's going to be difficult for them to break out of it. Well, Jay, you're up. Yeah, I have an oh, interesting question. Um, a lot of people, and I just wanted to know your take, they will wonder, well, what does the dad have to do with the United States and the rest of the world? And what they don't understand is what happens over in those countries there affects everything that happens in our country. And, and I wanted to say that I watched the movie Blood Diamond, and congratulations on your work you did with that. And I wanted to know, do you agree with that? What happens in Sudan has ex the same amount it has to do with Sudan. It affects what happens in America because of the economy and how things are, the gangs and the things that happen on our streets are affected. Because these kids, we see your country, and we see the war, and you guys see our country, and you see we go to war. So would you agree with that, that what happens in your country affects what happens in America? It's, I mean, we are on Mother Earth, and we are living things, and we depend on each other. You know, if you take oil from the ground and you pollute the ground, if it's, if it's India that is being polluted, it will travel and it will reach America. For example, if you look at the terrorism, there's war in Iraq, you hear New York cities are being blown. So we are a, we are a one world. Anything you do, whatever you are, will have an in, will affect the earth in another way. It may not go at a higher speed, but it will travel. Like pollution in the, the companies that are polluting the world now, it's affecting it globally. The economies now, we depend on each other. Most stuff are manufactured in, 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 uh, in China. A lot of natural resources or raw minerals are imported from Africa. Most of it is consumed in the United States and the rest of the world get part of it. So you see how everything works. So when there's war in my country, probably maybe China or Russia involved or America, it affects. The refugees flee where? To America. I never wanted to come to America or, 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 or Canada. If my country was at peace, I would, have stayed, I would have stayed still there because I've become a refugee. My environment has forced me to flee from one place to another. So, and that's why I am here. And so how can America play a part of it? 
why is it American responsibility? It's because we, are, we live on earth together, and those who are fortunate enough that have been blessed to have uh, many things have a greater responsibility to help our world to live, to, 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 to move to a better place. Because the resources have to be managed properly, and if we don't manage them properly, it will affect us. American problems, if American economy crash now, it will affect the entire world. You know, so that's how the how we are all connected. We have become like one body. You see, at one time the earth was able to take care of us, but we have gone wild. That now we have hammered the world. I mean, the planet Earth. It's our time now to try to take care of it. Or if we don't, it's gonna collapse. And once it collapses, it's gonna go down with a lot of people. And. And, and I just want to chime in here, Gail, because this, what he just said is important because it leads me up to your music because you have a song, and I watched the video, uh, Gail, and I was, I was just amazed at this song. Of course, could you explain to us what, what this, this video and this music, what are you saying to the world with this, uh, this music, uh, I Have Kush? Well, it's just because I, I started the history I'm beginning to learn when I was abroad is the lost history that my people back at home don't know. So it's just how now I'm beginning to read different books and hearing from different people who are scholars. And then what I see now, actually, where I come from, we, I come from where civilization begins. You know, I come from one of the oldest people, the oldest tribes, that have existed in Africa, and especially which has a long history going all the way to Egypt. And, you know, we used to call each other Nas, and we kept that name. That name has been kept for thousands of years, although many other tribes de- decided to call themselves different names. But that's how many, before we were called Kush, or before we were called Nubia, or before they called us Ethiopia, we used to call ourselves Nas. And we still keep that same name up to now. So, and that's what I'm trying to push this out, that I'm from Kush, you know, I'm from where the civilization begins, you know, when we talk about the mathematics, the physics. Because if children are growing and not knowing that their ancestors was great, they will believe with what the system is pushing to them, telling them, look, you're below human beings, you know. But if world begins, you know, at one time, Greek was the highest, one of the strongest uh, form of civilization, and there was equality there. Everybody was equal, you know. So it happened. There was a time, a, a time in Egypt that everybody was treated equally. It doesn't matter. You're not judged for your car- uh, character. Then, when you have a content, if you're a dancer, you're a, mu- you're a musician, or you're a scientist, you come to that civilization, and they'll give you high respect, which is almost what is happening now. And so it was more of an educational video to get young people to take education serious and begin to walk with their head up. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, I like yeah, it. That, I, like I, it. I, I love it. Veronica, um, we'll have just two more questions after this. Veronica, do you have any more questions for Emmanuel? Really, Emmanuel, uh, what you just said really struck a chord in me because I just recently graduated and um, one of my degrees has been African studies. And up until college, I had no idea 
you know, so much greatness came from the African culture. And it's such a shame that, you know, people of African ancestry don't know enough about their background. Mm-hmm. So for you to say that, that really struck a chord in me. And one of my questions is, I see that you spoke alongside Kofi Annan. How was that for you? And also, how was it for you to work beside such other creative and brilliant people and artists? Uh, did you say Kofi Annan? Yeah, she did. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, meeting Kofi Annan was also one of the greatest things. He's a very wise person. And it happened that he was the head of the United Nations, and a lot of things happened under his cover. He had no control whatsoever. But I like his methods of medi- mediation and the way he suggests things. Uh, Sometimes it may not be easy to actually know so much unless if you meet him. You know, he has that kind of same of uh, power as Nelson Mandela. Maybe now people are not going to be able to appreciate that, but if you give him time, he, the idea of equality and, and freedom and oneness and that all people are equal, he has that concept, you know. And so and, and, uh, and, and meeting somebody like him is always inspiring. Every word that he says, Sometimes you tell me, just keep doing the good fight. We're behind you. Just And appearing on the We One Peace video to support my cause was actually really great, too. Wow. That is so awesome. Um, Emmanuel, I am I'm very blessed. I have uh, three nieces who are 14, 15, and 17, and they're in a program called the International Baccalaureate Program. Um, they're also part of our uh, global ambassadors, and um, we have a Chinese global ambassador as well. And it's, it's, it's a very powerful East meets West. But in our family, uh, we believe that children should be the best that they can be for themselves and should choose their career journey or their journey in the world on their own, of course, being raised by a village. And I must say that these girls have been raised by a village, um, their mother and father have, you know, having, before my mother passed away, allowed us to raise them in addition to them and allowed their mother's parents to raise them as well. And I look at them, these three beautiful girls. Um, Jay has two beautiful daughters, you know. Veronica's just graduated from college. These are three girls that one is from a single parent, and the other, the other parent is from uh, the hills of Kingston, Jamaica. And mm. they, they had the opportunity to come, to, you know, she, she had the opportunity to come to this country, and he had the opportunity to meet her, as, you know, from a single parent. But now a single parent in a family that was very educated, you know, pro-education, okay? Doctors, lawyers, mm. all that, and both sides of the family. My question to you is, no one grew up with a silver spoon. These three young ladies know what's expected of them. One just came back from Nanjing, China, with her school, and she met mm-hmm. another global ambassador over there. How do we get, I know that you said we can't save everybody, mm-hmm. but how do we get other kids, like that young lady that was sitting in the audience who saw the young man in Africa filming and said, I have to do better. Because there's the same set of circumstances, you see. There is 
in Africa, you have to walk a mile to get to school or, you, or your children, the parent has to choose who's going to go to school. And in some cases, it's a more, more male-dominated society, so girls can't go to school. So how do we get our children to connect? How do we get our children of all cultures, not just one, all cultures to connect? And my, la- my last question to you is, I've had the blessing of meeting Ishmael Bea. He's an acquaintance. Mm child mm. soldier, Sierra Leone. And then I've had the opportunity to meet Edna Adan in Somaliland who created the hospital. I want to know which, you know, when we look up, have our kids look up to people like you, Ishmael Bea, Edna Adan, uh, Kofi Annan, uh, Bill Clinton, um, Richard Branson. What do you say to you, the youth to unlock to let them know that that same power is within them, coming from what you have come from yourself and overcome? The way I would look at it is sometimes you don't know, but sometimes you just have to try until you get it right. If I look at a situation where a British aid worker called Emma McCune, she rescued over 150 child soldiers, but I was the only one that she took to leave with her. So normally what I normally do when I go to a place, if I meet somebody and I actually have a time to actually talk and connect with that one person, I normally try my best and put my focus on that one person and communicate with that one person, call them, try to find out. And when I get an opportunity, if I happen to go on tour and save some of my PDs, I would send it to them and I tell them, hey, whatever you're trying to do, this is how much I can give you now, or find a local organization and partner with them. There's this young person I found here, and I cannot get there, but I'm going to be giving $50 a month or $100 a month, and I want him to finish his school or whatever it is he has to do. And that's what I've done with, with Goa Africa. Goa Africa started just by us going to wash people's houses and and cars in Kenya. And then when I became a rapper, it even became big. It's, if you are able to shake somebody's hand, it could be a baby. You know, look at, you know, if you look at some of the celebrities, what they do, it's, to me, when I see a celebrity or any other per- person goes to any village or anywhere, some of them, they're angels, they're heroes that are out there that are not in the publicity eye and have done some incredible things whereby they go into a neighborhood and they bring a child in. You know, they can either adopt. Sometimes you don't have to adopt. They don't have to be your child. Just give them the opportunity. If you can't, find a friend and do it together. It's just one. You know, for example, when you help a young man and he goes back to his village, he'll be able to uh, help a lot of young men to stand up, to be able to try to follow that method, and he'll inspire them. Wherever way he has succeeded, a lot of young men's spirits will be open to try to pursue their purpose. But when you invest in a woman, you're saving the entire country because women do multi-purposes. Women are the first teachers. So when you invest in a woman strongly, she'll make sure all our other kids become educated. If I have $1,000, for example, you give a man $2,000 and a woman $2,000, if they both have kids, 
the woman with $2,000, her kids are going to benefit more than the man. Because the man hands, his dollars can easily be driven away, distracted by so many things. But the woman, it's her kids first before she thinks about herself or any other person. It is education. It is the food of the table. Mostly, there are men who do good, but like the love women have for their kids, it's, it's, it's a big connection. It's unbelievable. I don't know how to express it. Well, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, this is my last one. Veronica and Jay, we have three left. I have to ask you. I'm sorry, Manuel. I have to. African-American uh, culture, African culture, Caribbean culture, how do you bring all three together in the African diaspora? How do we bring both sides together? You see, the problem is we have gone through trauma. We have been made not to trust each other. So it's a really, really, really difficult thing. Now we look at the way the systems have been built. As children, we have music here, we have sport here, and most kids aspire to go for shortcuts and not aspire to go to education. So we have not taken the things that could help us grow further, which is, for example, putting education as fast as one of, when our ancestors, they used to put education first as value. And education could mean taking your child to the forest to know the difference between the trees, the trees that can heal and the one that can poison. You know, the one that you need for food, you know, the one that you need for building your houses, so, or maybe taking care of the cows. So that's form of education, maybe how to protect yourself. But now we have evolved as human beings this different form of education, which is the technical aspect of education, and also the emotional intelligence that can grow from us. Africa is not going to be free until the children that were taken from Africa begin to connect with them so they can build that trust. Africa is the only continent that trade least with itself. So we have so many resources. You look at a country like France has got an economy twice as Africa. So a country like France can literally put Africa in civil war. Just how many countries, 52 countries? He'll probably maybe put $200 million and maybe control the resources. I'm not saying that's what they're doing, but because their economy is that big. So our leaders are blaming the West for every problem that is happening. And they are the ones who are benefiting. They put their money and store it in the West. And they're saying the West are not cool. So we have to see how, how our people in Africa or other areas have created a system where they benefit and push a blame so that the public don't question them. So they created an institution where we can't question them on how they are governing us. And that's what is giving us problems. So now with me, I had an opportunity to travel around the world. The world has changed. You know, it's not like the way it was before. People like Martin Luther King has made the world much easier for us to walk in and Nelson Mandela because they brought uh, united humanity and brought people together and people to empathize, you know? But Emmanuel, see, here's my main question. How do we bring Africans, African-American, and Caribbean peoples together to connect with each other and not have inward struggles so much as they do. That's my main thing. Like, how, how does that get, how does, how does that ball get rolling? I think it's happening now, 
because there are smart African-Americans who goes and do business in Africa. Some goes to Ghana. They go and connect with the roots. You could see like the Mali family, sometimes they spend time going to Africa and connecting in Ethiopia or Ghana. You see small businesses are beginning to happen. The smart ones who understand, who have discovered their history, are beginning to connect. They're not judging each other. So that's, we, if we're able to find those organizations that are actually doing it and will become, become a supporter of what they have, then that will be great. And if there's no organization in your area, if you begin to start one and try to connect people, that will be great. Because economics is going to help bring people together. There's skills that are here that can benefit back home. You know? that's, the, that's, so, the, that's the issue, Emmanuel. That's the issue. Like in New York, there's a lot of uh, African culture coming here, but they're starting organizations only to help Africans. And what we promote here, to be very straight with you, is bringing the whole diaspora together to learn from one another, to work together with each other. How do you feel about that? That's amazing. That's the way forward because, you see, Africa is massive. You know, you go to South Africa, there's all kinds of Africans there. There's Asian African, there's white African, there's the black African. You go to North Africa. So Africa is huge now. It has become almost like a, a global place to be in. So if we're able to leverage it that, it's going to speed us. If we're able to pass the knowledge uh, to the Africans that we, 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 we need to learn how to trade directly with Africans that are outside the country, that would be great. There's an organization set up by some young people in UK. If I find time, I can connect you with them. They're literally trying to get the diaspora to start doing business with the people. We have to just try. Because the issue, as you say, like trust, people come with stories. Hey, I started a construction company with this African brother. They ran away with money, and I don't want to do anything again. So, like, they're negative stories, but you come and hear there's also some positive stories. Where someone say, look, I went to Africa, and this is what I did, and now I made this couple of millions, and we have made this and this. Like some of the, the businesses that are successful probably in Kenya or Ghana and other places are people who left here and probably went back home, uh, went to Africa and volunteered. So I would encourage if you're an African-American, you're from Jamaica, try to connect. Go to Africa and see how it is. If you come from Jamaica or anywhere, just say, look, I am one, I'm the descendant of those lost African children. Anywhere you go in Africa, people will still love you. They'll just connect with you. They'll have that trust if you go and just introduce yourself that way. And maybe try, if you have a skill, you volunteer and try to help them, then they build this trust back with you when you go home and you connect and do whatever you can. Yeah, and I, and I would say um, I know that uh, there's only two other que two questions left, and that's uh, Jay has one for you and Veronica, and then we're going to close the show. But it's also important that African also connects here as well as African Americans connect there, you know, together while we're here, and Caribbean. Mm. It's just very important all three, not like one side, you know, one connects with the other. And I, and I'm not sure how you feel about that, but I believe it's so intrinsic that all parties connect with each other because there's so much, and at the same time connecting with each other, connect with all cultures. Because that, mm -hmm. that's what it's about. That's what people are people. And it's so important that everybody connects with each other because there's a difference to be made. And the difference you're making, you're not just making it with African people or African-Americans. 
or Caribbean, you are making a worldwide difference. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. you, it, it's important that we follow that example of what you're doing. All right? And so with that said, I'm going to pass you on to Jay, and, and then Veronica will close out the show. And we just thank you for hanging with us because we know that you were with us for a certain amount of time, and we thank you for that. So Jay, uh, please, and um, Veronica. Yeah, Joan, my, my question is um, music is it's, it's a gift, and you, you use it to have a voice. And I watched one of your uh, documentary video, videos, and you said, but when you first started, you were terrible. They kicked you out the studio. They said you couldn't flow. They said you didn't know what you were doing. How, how, did, you get, how did you get from there to be such, so great? Now you're great. You're like, you know, you're, you're, you're a prince. You're a king. And I want to know, what was that journey like? How did you get from being terrible, horrible, you know, like, you know, you didn't have any flowers and regular, and then now, look at you now. Tell us about that journey. Well, from from the way I was looking at it, I was when I put my mind to something, I push it to a point that my mind tells me, "Yo, this is how far you can go." And so, I'm learning from like my survivals where I am. I'm never good at anything, but I try to put my mind. If I see this can create me a way out of this, I'll put energy. And this goes back to. It's not about being smart or wise or strong to be able to survive anywhere. But you need wisdom. You need to be adaptable. You need to be smart. And also you need a, lo- you need a lot of hard work. You put a lot of hours and invest it. Those producers who used to knock, uh, close the door for me, I did not hate them. I was angry for that moment, but when I actually listened to myself, I actually was really know I sound bad. So how can I improve myself? So they actually helped me out because the problem, if you're going to try to do something and if somebody tells you no, you've you got to have to be listening and try to see how can you improve and you come back next time. Hmm. Brilliant. Veronica, <laughs> do you have one more question? One last question for you, but I do have a statement to make. Um, you are very intelligent, very wise at a young age, I would say, and I'm just grateful, very grateful for the opportunity to be speaking with such a brilliant person right now. And you just have so much going for you. You have a lot to say. You've been through a lot. You have a lot of experiences in what you're doing. And you're just doing an excellent job. And I think that you are a great role model for the youth that are out in Africa, and not only Africa, but just pretty much all over the world. And everyone who's hearing this, I know that they're getting inspired by every word that you have said today. Thank you so much. Did did you hear that, Emmanuel? Uh, I think we've lost him. Oh, no. So I think we've lost him, but but I'm grateful for the time that we had him on, and I will uh, thank Carrie. Uh, Carrie, thank you. That was the most amazing, amazing interview that we've had in a long time. We've we've had some amazing interviews, but both he – Lyra, Julian Kaganda, Anita, Teresa, um, Lyra, 
uh, Gene Warrenheim. Uh, oh, my God. I mean, we've, uh, man, I, I can't even, um, Diane Aiken from CSAC. I mean, thank you all, Tommy Silverman, Tommy Boy Records. I'm saying all these names because Listen Give is announcing a major campaign at the end of this month. And we are ready to rock. It's taken us two years to put this together. Blood, sweat, and tears. I want to thank Alice Liu. I want to thank Darren Brown. I want to thank Jay Logan. I want to thank Veronica Tranchant, Sophia DelVal, Simone Jones, Phineas Robert, Juice Alexander, Alexdor, and so many, many, many more. Uh, Baines, Angar, Over Crosby Collective. Um, you know, uh, Jay Logan's mother, his wife, uh, Dan Orth, Dwayne Patton, Mikkel Morgan, uh, Anthony Carter, so many people for supporting us all these years. We have, like, such a major announcement, and we've always said it's coming, it's coming, and we didn't want to do it until it was right. And uh, we thank you, and we're very grateful, you know, whether you believe in, uh, you're a Buddhist or you believe in the universe, or whatever you believe, we are grateful for whatever you believe in, and we're grateful to God. So Veronica and Jay, thank you for your partnership. Thank you so much. Thank you, and with that, this is uh This has been amazing. And uh, we hope we didn't chase you off there. So guys, uh, have a wonderful day, and um, we're, we're, we're gone. All right. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.